Are you someone who thought of starting an online business or you tried but it's not working as well as you hoped for? Or have you wanted to be a coach or create a course, a workshop or a mastermind? The opportunity to sell what you already know to impact others. I have partnered with Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi and Matthew McConaughey plus others to help you impact the lives of other people by sharing what you already know. Your life experience could lead your online business. Go to successgrid.net forward slash ttt. That is successgrid.net forward slash ttt now and reserve your free spot for the time to thrive challenge. It starts August the 2nd. Go reserve your spot now. That is successgrid.net forward slash ttt. You can also find the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to Success Grid, the place for sharing entrepreneurial stories, knowledge, and wisdom to educate and inspire you to always strive to raise your standards in your business and your life. With your host, Hussein Talib. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Success Grid podcast with your host, Hussein Talib. My guest today, Douglas Spencer. He is the president and chief brand strategist at Spencer Brenneman LLC, which helps companies articulate who they are at their core, what they should sound and look like, and how best to bring it all to life. He is also the author of Do They Care? Douglas, welcome to the grid. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Awesome to have you here, Douglas. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And... uh, uh, how you started uh, helping companies to articulate what they are at their core because when we're talking about the core of things it's like the deepest thing that can any man can possibly <laughs> reach to in life whether it's in business or their life right 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 well so i've been uh, i've been involved in marketing for um in almost 3 decades now and that uh, career um, found its way into branding. I was a global head of brand for an international company called Thomson Reuters, mm, uh, which cool. still exists, but they have different formats now. But uh, I was lucky enough to be the one that helped bring the two companies, Thomson and Reuters, together under the Thomson Reuters brand. And that was oh, that's um, a huge. Yeah, it was great. It was a really <laughs> incredible opportunity. I learned so much. I got to see the world. Um, it was a great, great opportunity. And uh, so after that, after that uh, time, after my time there ended, I thought, you know what, I learned a lot and I want to take the same principles and strategies that large corporations like Thomson Reuters use and help smaller businesses or organizations really benefit from that and learn how they can make the best of their, uh, how, how they can be at their best by embracing their brand by, again, as you said, articulating who they are at their core and then talking about themselves in a way that is relevant and competitively differentiated from all the other options that people have. Yeah. And so I've been doing that for about seven years now, and it's a lot of fun. Awesome, awesome. Because uh, it's it's now it's things getting more, more having more competition uh, and different the different aspects of business, whether online or offline. I think so. You need to have and define certain things in your business. So I want to start from the subtitle of your book, Do They Care? And the subtitle is, I believe, the one question all brands should ask themselves continually, right? Well, the idea is that um, we take for granted so many things. So once we get a customer, um, oftentimes companies will take them for granted. Same with employees. Um, in, in my book, for example, the first 
the chapter is all about employees. You mm-hmm. can't have happy customers if you don't have happy employees, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? Who, who serves the customers? The employees. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So in order to make, so you can't take them for granted. You have to continually ask yourselves, do my employees care about what it is we're doing? And that's a question you have to continue. You have to ask that of your customers. You have to ask that of anybody that is important to your success. And it's it bears repeating because that's how a brand is built. That's how a brand is strengthened. That's how a brand has been maintained. So getting them to really understand. So entrepreneurs and business owners, they care about what they do. They live and breathe it. That's all they can think about. And we forget that not everybody has that same passion mm. necessarily for our work that we do. And so it's incumbent upon us as business owners or as entrepreneurs to really step back and think about all the other people that, again, are important to your success. And what are they thinking? What are they feeling about this work? Do they understand why it matters? Do they understand why they should care? And are you doing everything in your power to make them care? In a reasonable way, of course. Yeah, of course. So the should every company obviously every company should have their own uh, messaging strategy for their employees and for the customers, right? Exactly, and they should be identical because there's mm-hmm. no such thing as internal use only, right? Um, <laughs> the way whatever happens inside the the virtual uh, walls of your business is going to get outside. And the other thing is that. Language is contagious. Mm. So think about all of the different phrases that we pick up from popular culture, from our spouses, from our family, from our friends. Um, we, we adopt the language of people around us. So it's important that employees have this, use the same language internally that um, they want to use externally. And for a great example of that is organizations that use uh, um, acronyms. So mm. you know, my company name is Spencer Brenneman. And so SB would be a terrible, terrible thing to do because if we start saying SB internally, then we're going to start to say that to people externally. And they're not going to understand. They're not going to get that. We have to really think about how we talk internally because that is how we talk externally. Yeah, exactly. So so like the identifying the core messages for the business should, should be in both ways, internally and externally. So right. a company should see themselves... If the, the, I don't want to say that, but let's say that the employees themselves, let's assume they are not employees, maybe they are outsiders and also message them in the same way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to be true to who you are. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you, you, you want to be the same brand, but you can interact with them differently, but as long as it's authentic. The um, analogy I use is, as a person, I talk to, say, my parents in a different tone of voice than I would talk to my buddies, to the barista at my favorite uh, coffee shop, mm. um, to my favorite bartender, all those different things. So we, I'm the same person, but I have a slightly different way of talking to each of those groups. And brands are the same way. You, you can have a different way of talking, but what you say really has to be true to your authentic self as a brand. Yeah. So what, what is the most important thing a business or a brand should focus on to, to build, let's say, its reputation? 
All right. That's that's a great question. So the way we approach it is we have um, what we call a messaging framework. It's also akin to like a brand house, if you're familiar with that, that, mm. that uh, device. So it starts with a why. Why do you do what you do? And why should anybody else care? Now, many years ago, the author Simon Sinek had a um, TED Talk, and you can YouTube that, and it's very good. And he goes into this idea of why. People buy why you do what you do, not what you do. Yeah. And you know why you do what you do is not to make money. Um, as he points out, that's the outcome. Um, why you do what you do is to solve a specific problem, is to help uh, your customers uh, do something. And so that's important to really articulate. Then you have to talk about why the way you do what you do is different than all the other options people have. Mm. And one option that people that we forget is that sometimes uh, companies are competing against inaction. So not making a change or Mm. not going forward in some direction, that's competition too. And it's not just little competition in terms of somebody else that is trying to vie for, for vie for their their uh, their their, in, their their money. Um, so that's really important to think about: who are you competing with, and how do you do what you do differently and better than everybody else? Yeah. And then the final element to that is: you know, what are the emotional kind of undertones that come with your your message? Because as human beings, we make decisions. Uh, based on analytics and emotion. And most of the time, it's the emotion that does the driving. We use analytics to uh, justify our emotional decisions. So for example, I need a car to get to work, but I really want a Lexus because it will make me blah, 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 blah. I mean, if it weren't for the emotional elements of a decision-making process, everybody would be driving a Prius. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just there and you have to keep that in mind. So when you talk to your customers about things like, um, cost of ownership, uh, return on investment, those are all really important, but those, those, those data points are probably going to be used to justify the emotional decision that they want to make that Mm -hmm. I like working with Hussein. So I want to work with him and yeah, look at this. We've got a great return on investment or, or I really feel that this brand is is um, is contemporary. Or I really feel that this brand is um, uh, smart. And those are the kind of emotional drivers that has to, that have to go through your message as you talk about um, working with, as you talk to people about working with you. Yeah. So you mentioned, like for example, Simon Sinek's talk about the why. I think it's very important because now people have so many options. They don't have two or three options. They have like at least 100 options to buy from on almost anything, whether it's physical products or digital ones. So that's that's very important to put on to people around. Also, uh, you talked about the, uh, the emotional buyers, for example. I believe there is like emotional buyers and there are the logical ones, right? So mm-hmm. which one? Uh, should any company focus on both of them or should uh, should they know their customers more and focus on, for example, the emotional buyer? Because the emotional buyer most of the time buys, like I believe, Im- immediately, but the logical buyer waits and do the research and because the emotional buyer knows the, knows the company or had a previous interaction with them and the logical buyer waits for a week or so to do their research and these kind of things. 
Yeah, I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I completely agree with that. I think that the emo- I think we're all emotional buyers on some level. Now, there's mm. there are different. So I your I take your point about some buyers like to do more research, like to take their times, and some are a bit more impetuous. And I think that's absolutely true. But I do think that all buyers, at some level, there is an emotional component, and you have to be able to talk to that as well as the the you know the analytical drivers. So um, I think in terms of how fast your customers ask, act, yes, you need to know that. You need to know if they're, if they're the types of customers that will act impetuously or if they're the types of customers that will do their lots of research. Um, but it's, it's also important to maintain there's an emotional element for all decisions that people make. Yeah. So, so do, you, do you, for example, encourage the hard sales or the soft sales, let's say? And let's talk what exactly the difference between the two. Uh, yeah, I would always, I would always opt for the soft sell, uh-huh. um, and there's a number of reasons for that. I just finished a, uh, I just read a book by Daniel Pink, and uh, in it he makes the, uh, he makes the argument that the power, the power has shifted from the from the seller to the buyer. So now the buyer has all the information they need in advance <laughs> of engaging with a salesperson, right? And so. When that that hard sell is a remnant of the days when the sale the salesperson had all of the cards, they had all of the they knew everything, and they were trying to educate or try to drive or, or try to lead people down a specific path. Well, now the consumer is the one that is in charge because they've already done the research. They know how much money, for example, if you look at cars, they know how much money um, is how much the dealership has already paid for that vehicle right and they know all of the details the ins and outs the how the you know all of the all the features all of the the cost again the cost of ownership things like that they know that and so that's when that's that's why you need to think more on the soft soft sell um, way and the other thing is people don't want to be sold to mm-hmm. people want to people want to buy from they don't want to be sold to and so I think the hard sell is, I think it's days are numbered. Mm. So because I talked to a lot of people talking about, for example, the storytelling of things, like how to sell through a story. So is mm-hmm. it important for businesses and brands to have their own stories as part of their core? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that framework that I talked about is one way to do to go about that. And so you can tell your story um, uh, in the context of, why you do what you do and how you do it differently. Now, how you do it differently, there should be some some proof points to that. There should be some examples that you can show. Um, so for example, we have a client called Leading Cities and they're a, not, a global not-for-profit that um, helps cities do help cities address all of the challenges that they face from pollution to um, uh, transit, things like that. And one of their proof points is um, nurturing the most promising startups, solving our most pressing challenges and pairing them with cities ready to use them. And they have a program called a sell a city and a sell a gov. And so that's part of their story. That's an integral part of their story, but it's also one of the things that make them different. So it all has to come together and all has to be concise. And this is something we haven't talked about yet, but it all has to be done consistently. Yeah. Um, consistency is so so important when you're thinking about your brand. Exactly. So, uh, speaking of this point, consistency. How 
how do businesses or entrepreneurs be consistent in their business and their messaging? Does does that have to be, for example, consistent, for example, let's say on social media and these kind of things, as well as their website and the, the related things that involve the, the visual things of the business? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything. In fact, that's where the brand strategy really comes into play. So when you have your brand strategy, you understand all the things we've already talked about and you articulate them for your internal audience. So for your employees and you have standards and you have guidelines and you have um, approaches that you use consistently across all the different channels, all the different platforms you use. And some might think, oh my gosh, that sounds so, that sounds like so much work. But the opposite is actually true because once you make those decisions first, uh, once you finally make those decisions about the, the, the premise of your brand and the guidelines, you don't have to make the decisions over and over again. You, you've got the templates, you've got the approach. You don't have to think about what kind of image do I want to put in this Instagram post because that's already been spelled out. And it is incredibly important for all organizations, to, regardless of their size, to be consistent because that, to your earlier point about having so much competition, that's how people are going to get to know you and how and remember you. Because if you're constantly setting out different, um, sending out different signals, or you're looking a different way, or you're sounding a different way, then um, they're going to confuse you with somebody else. But if they're constantly seeing you as a specific type of organization with a specific look and a specific sound, then they are far more likely to remember you uh, than and and see you as a a clear choice amongst all of the other uh, competitors you might have. Yeah, exactly. So speaking, you spoke about channels. So what we are talking about here, channels, are we talking about channel media, uh, social media channels, for example? Are there certain things that you encourage com- businesses to focus on? For example, if they get more business from Pinterest, should they keep it on Pinterest more and kick it to their yeah, so that's you know that that I used to teach a, a marketing class, and whenever my students would ask me a question, I would they, to the point where they would laugh at me. Uh, I would answer the question with, "Well, it depends," um, and I think that that holds true for that for your question, and and it all depends. And this is where you need to understand your buyer. You need to understand where they live and what they what they um, how they want to receive information, what type of information they really want. So when I talk about channels, it's email, it's text messaging. Now, a lot of companies Mm -hmm. are using text messaging to communicate with their customers. Um, It's your website, all of your social media platforms. Um, Sometimes it's live events. Sometimes if you're in retail, it's in store events. So all of those different touch points. And when I use the word channels, I guess touch points is probably a better uh, term or more accurate term. So all of those touch points, again, have to be consistent and you have to know where your customers are. And you know what? That's an example where research is really important. And that's one thing that I think brands get wrong a lot. And that is that they just assume they know their customer. And especially when you have a very um, charismatic, um, experienced leader, someone who thinks that he or she knows her customer because they've been in the business for a long time. Mm. You know what? No, you've got to do some research because things change. Change fast, change. Yeah, Things so change if first, you, yeah. you got if you want to know where your customers are, you gotta ask them. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. So you you said you gotta ask them. How how do we do that? How do we ask our customers? How we get to, how do we get the feedback from them? That is a great question. And again, 
It depends on how large you are of an organization. You know, one of the ways that we found to be particularly helpful is simple online surveys. So we produce these online surveys that our, our, our clients send out to their constituents. And it asks questions like that. But we also, we also accompany those with one-on-one um, -on -one interviews with representatives from all those groups. So for example, we'll talk to customers facing um, staff to talk to them about what they're hearing from customers. We'll talk to customers. We'll talk to um, senior leaders. If we can, we'll talk to ex-customers or we'll mm -hmm. talk to people in the industry that understand the, the marketplace. Um, so combine, so that qualitative research combined with some quantitative research can give you such a breadth of data that will help you make decisions, not only about where your customers are, but what drives them, what's important to them, how do they want to be spoken to, all of those different things. Yeah, exactly. So, so you mentioned taking taking surveys. So this is the most simple and easy way to get their feedback. And also you can fill out a bunch of questions on certain points and you know exactly where they are, how they think, what their, let's say, future aspects of or demands could be in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Now, surveys are the most, um, they're, the, they're the easiest type of market research to conduct. You know, the bar of entry for surveys now is very low. Mm. Um, anybody can create a survey. But the bad thing about that is that anybody can create a survey. So you need to have someone who understands market research, who understands how to not only write questions in a way that's going to get you the most accurate data, but also how to interpret it. Yeah. And, and and how to also keep your surveys lean, because um, the longer your survey, the less likely that people are, are going to fill it out. Mm -hmm. So you really do need some uh, a market research person to help you with that. Now, of course, there are lots of other ways that you can do research. You can hire a market research firm, which I think is a perfectly um, great uh, a great thing to do if you have the budget. Hire a market research firm. Do um, more in-depth surveys, uh, survey people that you don't necessarily have access to because they can they can find people that you don't have access to. Do mm. focus groups. Uh, focus groups are really important, are really powerful, but like the other uh, types of market research I mentioned, they too require some expertise. Uh, it takes a very skilled moderator to go in and manage a focus group so that groupthink doesn't uh, take over or people don't just start agreeing with the loudest voice in the room. Um, so, you know, um, that's a really important skill set that you have to keep in mind if you're going to do focus groups as well. Yeah. So like now, uh, because now I'm sure like, as you know, now video is a big part of the internet and the business, any business now. Right. And it's coming of YouTube is becoming huge in number one, or number two, I believe, search engine. So do you think there is instead, for example, making people do surveys, is it possible? Because I have seen companies that uh, it's called, I think, Ask Video, I believe. I'm not sure. So do you think there could be uh, more interaction in getting feedback? Like, for example, having a video and having the customer reply as a video? Would that be oh, a, a huge difference, a better, a better edge for the company? Oh, absolutely. I think there's a lot of amazing data you could pull from a scenario like that. So, for example, if you had a software product and you ask someone to um, just to go through the software and as they're doing it, speak out loud. All right. So I thought something would be here in this menu, but apparently I should be looking in that menu or I can't find 
this feature that I thought would be easier to find or easy uh, easy to find. So yeah, I think that's a, there's a lot of rich data you could get from a scenario like that. Mm, so what, what do you recommend, for example, businesses or entrepreneurs, uh, how to, uh, for example, uh, much focus on social media more, or for example, let's say the out of uh, social media, like the prints and the newspapers, and you mentioned texting, Is is it a good option to also focus on texting? Uh, do I still people reading their text on their mobile? It de- and, and, and it depends. It really depends on who your customer is. So, for example, if you sell to a typically older clientele, they may not be as comfortable with texting as they are with um, traditional print media. They might be, mm-hmm. but they may not be. Um, certainly. Uh, telemarketing is not going to work on anyone under the age of 30 or 40, right? That's just not going to work. Um, so it, it depends on who your buyers are. And again, what is it they, that they re- that resonates with them? Now, there also, there are, you also have to keep in mind what your competitors are doing. So, mm. you know, if your competitors are um, just doing email with them, then you might want to consider texting just as a way to differentiate yourself. But that too will come with the same kind of um, challenges that email does in terms of opting in and, um, and um, you know, maintaining privacy settings and things like that. But I would, I always recommend that people get to know their prospects and then, and then figure out what they want and find the best way to do that in a different uh, manner than all the other, uh, all the other competitors you have. Yeah. So I believe that like, for example, Peter Drucker, I believe he said that the business is basically innovation and marketing. So where do you stand between the two? How much innovation should the company keep growing to keep growing and how much should they focus on marketing? That's a really good question. I don't know that I've ever thought about that. Um, I think that innovation is absolutely important, but it depends on how you define marketing. So Mm. marketing, if you look at marketing as a communication channel with your prospects and customers, then they're really not that different that your marketing should be feeding into your innovation based on the based on the feedback and data you get from your prospects and customers that should inform your innovation so um, you know it obviously innovation is important is more important because unless there's innovation you got nothing to sell right <laughs> you've got nothing to market uh, but i do think that there's ways i do think there's an argument for saying that it's a cycle and that the mm-hmm. that a marketing function, a proper marketing function can feed into innovation and then innovation feeds into that. Yeah. So for example, speaking of innovation, do you believe like it should be a one person show or it should be a collaborative job between the employees and the business? Oh, I think it's got to be collaborative. And I think Mm -hmm. the data shows that as um, the workforce changes, uh, especially at least here in the United States, Um, as the workforce play, uh, changes, younger um, workers, meaning millennials and Gen Zs, are going to re- are going to expect collaboration. Um, they are much more. They are not comfortable with the hierarchy that I grew up with in corporate America. Uh, I am not a millennial by any means, so um, they're just not going to put up with that. So I think collaboration is the way things are going to are the way that companies are going to have to operate very soon. Yeah, uh, the, these hierarchies in businesses and big companies, especially the EVPs, VPs, uh, senior managers, uh, to me, these are 
just names that does not mean really a lot, especially. But the the thing is, these names are given to people who have been in these companies for a long time, 10, 20, mm-hmm. 30 years. So they are not, they, they have moved from the jobs that they used to do, which now newer employees doing and to a higher position, but they are not, I think their eyes like on the same level, they are not looking up and down and see how things are changing, certain things. And like you mentioned, there are some something in businesses like the procedures or the internal things that businesses do. To me, I care more about the operational side of things. I want things to get done even if you twist around around the internal policies or whatever companies have, you know what I mean? So I, I want to things to get done. I, sure. I, I don't, I don't mind jumping through this uh, step. If it, if it's going to hold me back, what do you think right. about that? No, it's true. I think there's a balance though. Yeah. Uh, I think there's certainly a balance. No, you don't want to um, become paralyzed by always finding the best answer. And, you know, the, you know, there's no such thing as perfection, really. Um, there are so, one of the things I learned early on in my career in marketing is that there, there's no one right answer to most marketing questions. There are a lot of different question, ways that uh, are accurate. So when you think about naming a company or a product, you can come up with a name or product, but there's probably half a dozen others that would work just as well. So no, you don't want to be paralyzed. But on the other hand, you also don't want to act without thinking. And I, or you want to make certain, and here's more, I think this is more to the point. You want to make certain that the people most qualified to make the decision are the ones that are actually doing it. And that is not necessarily based on someone's title. And I've seen many, I've lost track of how many times I have seen um, bad decisions made just because the person made them had authority mm-hmm. over the people that really knew what was happening. Yeah. So I think there's a balance between, all right, let's just get it done. And all right, we got to find the perfect way to do that. There's a balance between the two. Yeah. So for, for example, small businesses, uh, what they should focus on more, because I once got uh, read the book that basically that marketing is the pull of the customer and sales is the push of the customers. And we talked a little bit about how should we, <clears throat> the storytelling involves these kind of things. So uh, should companies focus on the marketing of things or the selling of things? Because there is a lot of talk on these kind of two. Hmm. I don't know. That's a that's a question. That's an, another interesting question. I don't know that I see them as all that separate marketing mm-hmm. and sales, it really should be, um, they should work hand in hand. They obvi- ob- often don't. I've seen many times where that's the case. They don't, but it really should be with all with the same goal. You know, marketing exists to help um, bring on more customers, right? And that's what sales does too. So I think it should be done um, in the same, with the same tone, with the same intention and with the same, um, with the same approach. So I don't, I kind of reject the idea that it's one or the other. I think they're mm-hmm. both, uh, I think they're in there. I think they're in, they're in bed together, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so Douglas, what do you think one, what would you say one takeaway from this episode for the audience? Um, you know, one thing that I always tell people, and I, I don't think we spend enough time on this, and that is you've got to, you've got to stop and think about what, your prospects, customers, employees know and what they don't. Mm -hmm. Because we have so much in our head 
about what happens that most of the time as leaders, we are talking to people. It's like we are explaining episode, a uh, season six, episode three of something on Netflix to someone who's only seen season one, episode two, right? <laughs> so we are so far ahead of people in our heads because that's what we live and breathe that we have to stop and think, all right, what do they know that, and what do they not know that I know? So that is critically important. And that's where a lot of leaders get stuck because they forget that not everybody is in their head. Yeah. So this is, for example, we're talking here about having some kind of a culture inside the company that uh, that's like a mirror reflects inside and outside of the both sides of the business. Wow. Yeah, I think company culture is huge. It ha- you know, you've got to have as much transparency as is appropriate. Now, obviously, um, a, a CEO or president can't share everything. You know, if you're working on if you're working on an acquisition, that's not something you need. You should be talking about transparently at, at all times. But you know, there are a lot of things that should be transparent. Um, and and I think that you you should be ready for employees to say, "I'm not sure that's the best idea." And not get defensive um, because you need to hear that hear what they have to say. So I think transparency is a really important um, in in the right situations. Yeah, exactly. Douglas, one care, but where can people get in touch with you? Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Douglas Spencer. I'm uh, there's not a lot of us apparently, so um, you and I are connected. So if they find you, they'll be able to find me. Um, also, our website is spencerbrenneman.com. Uh, And um, we and you can connect with me through there. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Douglas W. Spencer. That's another option, an easy one. Awesome. Well, thank you, Douglas, for being here with me today on this episode. Oh, thank you. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope your listeners do too. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.